Welcome to the Most Sports Podcast for the 15th of March, 2020. An interview with actor and sister Kelly Overby in New York City about COVID-19 by your host, Dr. David Overby. Hello, everyone. This is the Most Sports Podcast, and this is your host, Dr. Dave Overby, the Most Sports Podcast, recorded on March the 14th, 2020, and we have just had the historical cancellation of the NCAA tournament and other major sporting events around the world, uh, the entire country of Italy in quarantine uh, due to the uh, coronavirus pandemic, Uh, and we are here uh, on the phone with uh, Kelly Overby, who is an actor in uh, New York City, also happens to be uh, my sister. And uh, uh, Kelly, thank you for joining us here on the Mo Sports Podcast. My pleasure. Uh, could you please just uh, tell us what your experience is uh, there in the city? Well, uh, the city is quieting down, uh, as far as I can tell. I, I live in the East Village. Uh, that's um, a neighborhood in Manhattan. And I personally have not left my neighborhood for about four days. Um, I've been here since Tuesday. About On Wednesday, I made the decision to stop going to see theater. And as it turned out, the next day, I believe it was Thursday, the governor of New York um, mandated that the theaters closed down, well, the ones 500 seats or more, and uh, that, that really means Broadway. And then off-Broadway, which is 499 seats or less, uh, basically followed suit. So um, as far as my industry is concerned, right now what we're really seeing is the economic hardship of um, the attempt to contain the virus, which is obviously very important, but I, I think it's put a lot of distress in the industry. Actors have lost their jobs um, and are concerned about the future. Um, but as far as uh, just the city itself, it's just a little quiet. Uh, there's still people out on the streets. I don't see people, I don't see many people wearing masks or gloves, but um, it's the public crowds have definitely thinned out. But I do see restaurants and stores open in my neighborhood, and people are still out and buying things. And, and even though the grocery lines have been really long, um, they're still well-stocked, uh, it seems, so far. Now, uh, one thing I did want to ask you about, you said that um, that when you uh, told the uh, people for whom that you had been going to see uh, all of these plays as, as part of your... Uh, participation and, and support of, of the theater that they uh, initially weren't exactly uh, supportive or understanding of your decision. I think that I made an early call to protect myself uh, because I was concerned. And I think that a lot of the people, what you're talking about is I'm on the uh, Lortel Committee, which is a, a, a nominating and voting committee to uh, award um, people in off-Broadway plays for excellence and in their in their uh, work, and I have seen almost every single off-Broadway play that qualifies for the Lortels, and we're at the end of the season, and I was prepared to see about 19 more plays before the end of the month, and the thought of being in 19 different enclosed theaters with hundreds of strangers during this crisis seemed to me uh, too risky. So I made the decision not to attend. And I I wouldn't say that my colleagues were not supportive. I think that they were just making a different decision. And that actually brings me to an interesting observation, which is I think that, you know, when, when does the penny drop, you know, for people? I think making these difficult decisions to close down has been hard because we are trying to prevent something from happening, which means that the crisis isn't right in front of our face. You can't see it. You know, we don't see people sick yet. The whole point is to to prevent that from happening, which means you have to make this hard call. Um, It's just just really interesting to me about um, how denial is, is a very real force and can prevent people from acting sooner, I guess. But, but, 
I had that conversation with you, David, um, everybody has gotten on the same page, and we're all um, a very supportive community of one another. And the theaters have actually been really wonderful. They've, they've, um, many of them have offered to pay their uh, casts and crews through their contracts, even though they closed early. And um, that includes, you know, pension and health week. So that's really important. And, um, you know, when it comes down to it, I would say that the theater community is one of the most supportive um, communities I've ever um, been in. Well, I I, uh, certainly uh, understand uh, that... uh that endorsement of the uh, of the theater community, and I know that this is difficult for everyone. But the the comment uh, that you made earlier, when you uh, now it was on Thursday that they made the decision for Broadway to go dark, correct? That, I believe that. Is- and that was the same day that they canceled the NCAA tournament. That's right. A lot of things, a lot of big, big like Disneyland. Right. And one of the things that I think was a catalyst for that was that uh, Utah Jazz NBA players Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell tested positive for the coronavirus on Wednesday. Uh, Because prior to Thursday, the idea had been that the NCAA tournament was going to be played, but without any fans. And I already had a feeling when that decision was made that this thing isn't going to happen. So it's not a particular criticism of the of the people that you were dealing with, but more just an observation about our culture that there seems to be uh, a, a disturbing uh, anti-science uh, apathy or uh, arrogance or obliviousness. Um, I'm I do have to say I am amazed uh, that. If a person such as yourself on on Wednesday were to say that in the interest of looking out for your health, that you were going to see these plays, that not only would people not have been understanding, but they would have said, you're you're probably doing the right thing. And I didn't get the sense that, I mean, I think what you were saying was something to the effect of... uh, uh, well, I mean, we under we support your decision, or we uh, we understand you have to do what you're trying to do, which is a somewhat uh, implicit way of saying we're disappointed and we disagree with you, uh, which I find to be incredible. But I mean, rather than just limit it to to that one context, the reason that I think it's so interesting uh, or uh, that it's so uh, significant or revealing about the culture is that. In looking at social media and the reaction of the um, the cancellation of the NCAA tournament, it seems about 50-50 that about half of their reactions are uh, saying that uh, this is a big overreaction, that it's ludicrous, that it's ridiculous, that these events would be canceled, and that uh, everybody is... Uh, is just going crazy, and this is all based on hysteria. Um, what do you think of, of that kind of mentality? Well, I think, like I was saying, I, I, I think that people, when they're afraid, do lots of funny things. And I think this is scary for a lot of reasons. It's not just scary because of what is this disease that we could all get. And what does that mean? But it's scary, you know, economically. Like I was having another conversation earlier about friends who own restaurants and are worried about losing their businesses and their livelihoods. And that's, you know, fundamentally, um, that, that impacts people in a very fundamental way. I mean, of course, putting putting your health against your financial health is, is also kind of crazy, but sometimes it feels like it's the same thing. Of course, it's not. Because you can't improve your financial health if you're not alive. <laughs> so, um, but I think, I don't know, I think there will always be people on one end of the spectrum who will believe in conspiracies or not believe the thing that is true. But on the other hand, I guess, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I understand it. I was frustrated by not more people agreeing with my, not that they were disagreeing with me, but that they weren't making the same decision for themselves, which they were entitled to do. Um, I was just sort of interested in the fact that, you know, they don't, if you don't want a thing to be true sometimes, and you don't feel like you have to agree with it, then sometimes it's easier just to say, well, I don't agree with it. It makes you feel better. I don't know. I think maybe in some weird way, there's some self 
soothing going on with that kind of denial, which I can empathize with. Um, I'm, I'm really grateful that, you know, we've all ultimately kind of been pulled over to um, do the right thing so far. You know, we'll see. Well, I um, I just I wonder, though, if maybe the, the problem isn't uh, fear, but a, uh, a disturbing lack of fear in the face of something that is an unprecedented public health crisis. Um, I mean, in terms of doing the right thing, uh, I would say that, uh, as, as always, um, America and most of the rest of the world, with the exception of Taiwan, has absolutely done the wrong thing. Uh, do, do you know the date when the first case of coronavirus was reported in uh, Wuhan, China? Right. Uh, I'm just. I know when that was. Right. Um, was it November? Uh, yes, it was. Uh, the reports say between November seventeenth and uh, uh, December the first. Uh, so that's what. Um, I mean, if you go with the November 17th date, and, and this is March the 14th, December... Like four months ago. That's four months. And, I mean, this is a... The, the, the first red flag is that it's a, it's a novel virus, right? Not, I mean, everybody says, oh, it's just the flu. It's the same thing as the flu. Uh, and, uh, of course, it is not. Uh, it is much more contagious... Uh, the fatality rate is at least ten times higher, right. and um, the fact, the the most worrisome fact is that it's novel, meaning that it's new. So we don't know what it's going to do. We don't know what's going to happen. And I have, uh, I have to say, I guess I'm sort of in the opposite camp with you. I have no sympathy or empathy or respect whatsoever for anyone who uh, has not been taking this seriously. The first case reported in the United States was on January the 21st in uh, in Washington state uh, and um, so if you're looking at that that timeline you can just say well let's just keep it simple you know December the 1st January the 21st that's nearly uh, two months right that the United States could have been uh, gearing up for this. Uh, and then it's now January the 21st, and it has only been in this past week. In fact, I would pinpoint the middle of, of, of last week, that, that Wednesday to Thursday, 24-hour period, when, when finally there was some kind of, of, of shift. I mean, and don't you in some ways just find that to be um, flabbergasting in, in, in terms of, of being lethargic and, and frankly, just uh, utterly stupid and irresponsible? Well, I mean, I, I think that there probably has been incompetence along with denial and um, bureaucracy and all of the things that make it difficult for, I mean, how many people are there in the world now? Well, there's 7 billion people, 330 million in the United States. Right. So so getting all those people on the same page is, is going to be, you know, a, a complicated thing to do. Um, I, I, I don't disagree that it's frustrating or that perhaps there hasn't been, you know, mistakes made on, on, on behalf of selfishness and stupidity, but I think we're all dealing with something that we've never dealt with before, and I guess I like to focus more on how we are coming together and how we're helping each other and how we're choosing to move forward from this point. I mean, we can always go back and investigate and unpack it later. And but may, I, may I just jump in, though? I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying, uh, but, but let me just jump in and say that I, I think um, – that one of the important things that you have to do in, in leadership and in, and in science is that you, you do have to be willing to look back. You do have to be willing to be retrospective. Of course. Uh, and, and, I mean, and that's a divergence from the idea of, well, you know, we're at this point, we have to move forward because there's been incompetence all over the world. So this is not, uh, with the exception of, of, of Taiwan and uh, and other countries in, in Southeast uh, Asia that are near China, because you'll notice when you look at those maps, everything is concentrated in China, in the United States, of course, and in Europe. 
But in Southeast Asia and especially Taiwan, uh, they actually learned from their mistakes. Uh, t- Taiwan did from the SARS epidemic of 2002. Um, but these other countries, at least once they realized they were doing things wrong, they were actually able to do an about face. And so I think there is some benefit to looking backward, reflecting, and uh, being uh, harsh uh, with yourself and honest and saying, well, this is, uh, uh, we've been completely wrong about this. And I, I just think that while um, it's, it is uh, understandable that people would be critical of, uh, of the president and the administration, I, I really see this as mainly a cultural problem, that I, I just see people who apparently are, are either anti-science or uh, just don't pay any attention to it, don't pay any attention to the news. Well, I, are, I, I think, David, that, you know, this is definitely one of those watershed moments, and I would expect there will be a lot of uh, self-reflection and cultural reflection and criticism moving forward. Um, I wasn't suggesting that there shouldn't be. I, I think absolutely we should look at it and examine it and understand what happened and make changes in the way we live. And I, and I hope that people will. I hope that people will understand, you know, once we're through it, uh, what happened. Well, I hope that you're right, but you are aware of the, the situation with the, the testing uh, still has not been re- resolved. I will say this, you asked for a report about uh, here, and my local doctor in the East Village has just reported that he has access to tests, so anybody who wants one can have one. So that, that's available here in the East Village, I, I can tell you that. Okay, I mean, that, that's good to know, but I mean, we're, we're still talking about... No, I think it, in some ways, and I haven't read all the news this morning. Right, right. It's changing so fast every day, but... They're saying, or what? I, That that we're almost past the point of testing being relevant because those numbers, whatever numbers we have that are supposed to reflect who has the virus, are must be wildly wrong. Because if there's been exposure, as we said over the last four months, it's 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 already out. The, the, the what do they say? The the horse is already out of the barn. Well, right, but I mean, don't you think though that it's important to to test people in order to identify vectors of the virus and of then to course, isolate and quarantine them? But I'm saying that mitigation is. I think people probably should proceed as though they might. It's possible that they do, and it could be a carrier or you know have been exposed in some way. And I don't know. I, I mean, I, I I don't know. I think that we're all braced. I know I am for the next. You know seven to ten days to see what happens in terms of, you know, people getting sick. Right, right. I mean, seven to, t- to ten days, um, although from uh, the reports that I heard from uh, Governor Cuomo in New York, uh, that we could be looking at uh, at six months or more of this. Oh, of course. But I mean, what I mean is the, 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 um, where, the where the slope goes up steeply. I think we're looking at, like, that happening imminently. Right, right. I mean, I guess the thing that frustrates me is, and I was just thinking about this uh, uh, on listening to some uh, doctors talking about what they're doing in, in other uh, countries. Um, for example, when the when the Chinese realized how bad this this was, um, well, I guess f- for me, when it really began to, to strike me that this was um, uh, pretty uh, serious and, and horrifying, was remember when there were those reports of the Chinese government in a matter of 10 days built two hospitals specifically just for the coronavirus? I did not hear that report, no. Yeah, that happened back in December. And, I mean, when that happened, it blows my mind. And, again, I'm not just... I'm not only criticizing America, but I am definitely criticizing America, uh, but really the rest of the, the world. I mean, Italy was also complacent. That's why they got nailed. That's why their entire country is on, on quarantine. Now we see uh, that uh, Spain, especially Madrid, um, has, has, has an outbreak. Uh, Denmark, which is a country that in uh, political discourse is always contradicted with America about how the Danes are so smart, and they have their social welfare system, and everything's great, and everybody is happy. Uh, it's gotten out of control there. So, uh, but the the well, world. It's going to be harder to control your populace if you live in a quote unquote free society. I mean, 
I'm not making a value judgment on anything by saying this, but in China, I think it might be a little bit more easy for the government to tell people what to do, and then they'll do it. You know, I don't think it's quite. But I don't think that has anything to do with being a free society. I think it has to do with whether you're uh, an educated society, whether whether you're a scientific-minded society, and you actually know what to do. For example, there's. Um, if you can make people take off their shoes and their belt when they go to the airport, which immediately happened after September 11th, uh, right, all these new measures, um, there is nothing whatsoever to stop uh, people from having their simply having their temperature taken when they board or get off an airplane. Yeah. Right? I mean, um, so uh, I... I mean, you are correct to point out, I mean, there are differences in the Chinese uh, and, and, and American systems, but I think really this is more an issue of science and education than it is, you know, what type of, of, of government that you, you, you live in. I mean, that's why we have, that's why we have leadership in the first place. That's why we have, that's why we have all of these uh, institutions. So, um yeah, it's, it's really uh, stunning to me, and I, I guess that's why I don't really share your optimism that there that this is a watershed moment, that there will be anything changing. I mean, j- just this morning I was uh, listening to a report about the um, how the, the, the CDC w- refused to import testing kits uh, that other countries had ready because this, the CDC's protocol is... We have to do it our our own way, and I, I guess for me, what I see more in this is this um, this very um, archaic idea of American exceptionalism. That since we're America, we're going to do things our way, which we, you know we always do. I mean, we we could get get into a political conversation about a certain political candidate who's always bringing up how they do things differently in other countries, and these are also free societies, and they seem to work better than, than they do here. Uh, and I think this is just another example of that, where well, we're in America, so we, we make our own testing kits, and you know somebody has to make the money, of course, and get the patent for these testing kits, and that's more important than just stopping this. But, uh, I, I mean, I just think this is um, absolutely... Uh, diabolical and unforgivable. Um, so, um, I, I it feels it feels dire. Yes, it is dire, and it's grim. I mean, have you been re- uh, like the if you what's been going on in in uh, in Italy with um, uh, the healthcare system uh, being pushed to the level of collapse, and that's the the real worry of this. I'm sure that you've heard flatten the curve. Yeah. Right. That I mean, people can keep getting sick, but at some point, the infection rate has to abate. The stress on the healthcare system has to abate. If it doesn't, and the healthcare system collapses, then suddenly, what would be a mild, non-severe, survivable systems become potentially fatal, regardless of your background, because you. It reminds me. It reminds me a little bit the feeling I have about that. I happened to be in Los Angeles. You may remember this during the LA riots. I was just uh, and there was that one day when they called curfew, and I was with my boyfriend at the time, and we were going to another person's apartment to stay with them. And I don't remember exactly why. I think I know. I remember now. It was because I had to move. I had moved that day. That's insane. So I had a Toyota Tercel car full of personal belongings, my boyfriend, and we were driving to our friend's apartment. We got there around the time the sun was setting. We settled in, and then at some point we went on the roof of the apartment building, and we could see fire in three different directions. And I remember having the feeling, if we need help, everybody who would help us normally is going to be too busy to help us. Right, right. And it's a feeling of being very alone, and, and the only other time I ever felt that way was nine eleven. You know, watching the Pentagon after the towers and thinking, "Oh my gosh, you know, how far will this go?" And everything is collapsing. And if I need help, who will help me? You know, it's it's a very, very um, 
scary, bleak feeling. Um, I don't, I don't quite. I'm not quite there right now, but I, but the, but I, but I relate. You know, I'm relating this to that. Uh, you know, seeing the potential of what you're talking about, and of course, we want to avoid that. I'm hoping, I'm hoping we will, which is why, again, we're we're um, implementing these extreme measures of social distancing. I mean, I think that that's people are behaving for the most part. You know, people are not gathering people on online. I'm having conversations with people all over the country, and and you know, everybody is doing what they can do, you know, I, I don't, I, there are people, that some, some people who are scoffing, I suppose, still, but I also see most people who are saying, I'm with, I'm home, I'm with my kids, I'm with my family, I'm working remotely, I'm not going out, I might go to my grocery store, but that's it, so I think, at least in my network of humans, uh, people are complying, um, I don't know. I mean, my 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 information is anecdotal. It's personal, so you know, it's certainly not. Again, it's not scientific. There's no blind study here, but um, this is what I'm experiencing. Well, no, I think that your your experience and your observations are more than just anecdotal because you're you're actually there and you're observing and you're paying attention to what's what's going on. So, and we want to we very much appreciate you uh, taking the time. Uh, to do this interview with us, uh, sure. just uh, one one last uh, a point to, to bring up um, here is uh, you're probably familiar with uh, with Dr. Fauci. I've been the watching him every day. Director of the Infectious Disease uh, yes. Center uh, here in the United States, and um, I think one of the uh, if if there was a, a watershed or unprecedented moment for me in, in American politics, it was. Um, when when, uh, when Fauci was talking to Congress and said, "This is a failure. You know, our system is not set up to do what it needs to needs to do." And here's the big irony: when you mention that you know we have a free society and China has this you know central state controlled society, is the problem in America? The way I see it is our our system is totally inflexible, which is exactly what I would associate with a society that is not free, right? That it is very much a a bureaucracy it it is a um a, a rigid uh, overly controlled um just completely inflexible system that that can never spring into action and do what it needs to do when it needs to do it uh which is which is what i think uh, you would associate with a with a free society so i don't really think this has anything to do with it's a free society or democratic versus a, a more central state controlled system. I just think that, um, uh, and of course I, I've been to China, so I, I've, 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 I've seen it. And, um, uh, th- there are certainly things as, as an American that I do not envy about, about China. For example, uh, standing water toilets are not a particularly pleasant thing to, uh, encounter when you're just going to use a bathroom i'm not sure i even know what that is but you know for another time well it's a toilet that would have been made like a thousand years ago and that's what they still use there because it's a really old country okay uh, um but and, and the pollution is definitely uh, a, a a real uh a problem there i mean you 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 notice it but um but i just think that the uh I, I I don't think that now is the time for uh, optimism because the benefit of, of failure and admitting failure is that once you do it, you can learn from it, I right? What you're saying. I don't think that I'm saying anything different from you. I'm not recommending that we keep our head in the sand. I'm saying the opposite. I want us to be accountable and aware and smart and helpful. I'm just saying... Um, I also don't. What am I saying? I, I, I just I, I want like you for us to figure it out and to help each other and to move forward and to um, sort of you know make sure that it's not as bad as it we're afraid that it could be you know to the degree that we can whatever uh, that takes. So I, I mean I I'm just saying that I do see in in my individual network people doing what they can individually. And um, writing their Congress people and working through their unions and um, sharing information that's helpful. Um, 
I mean, this is what the Internet is for. I mean, there are a lot of irritating things about it, but it's also a really useful tool for communicating at a time like this. Well, I mean, it could be, but unfortunately... Well, let me give you an example of something that I, that I heard on the local news the other day. <clears throat> was they were saying... Um, you have these press conferences where someone like a, a state governor will uh, be telling everybody what to do, but all he winds up doing is say, go to our website, go to our website for this, go to our website for that. So I get the sense that really there just is no le- leadership going on uh, a- at all uh, in this in this country, uh, and that we are, this is... I mean, we know that uh, that uh, that Trump uh, has been a a bad president in many different ways, and then in 2018 he cut CDC funding by 80 uh, percent. Um, but that was a continuation of decades of cuts of funding to public health, and I just have to wonder about a culture that takes pride in a political system that cuts funding to public health, that cuts funding to education. That puts millions of dollars into sports, but where is the expertise that all of these sports coaches have? How is that going to help us? Yeah, no, I I agree. I you mentioned leadership in government, and I just have to give a shout out to Representative Katie Porter. I thought she did a really excellent job questioning the CDC chief and getting him to commit to free testing for coronavirus for all American citizens. Did you see that? I did see that last night, and I am a big uh, Katie Porter fan. Um, however, there are a lot of- in proportion to the unbelievable, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, decades of ignoring science, of undermining education, undermining research. I mean, if Can we had... Can you a question? Sure, go ahead. Do you think that something this extreme, um, and we I don't think we've seen the worst of it yet, unfortunately, but do you think that this could be a turning point for the culture? No, not in this culture, no. So you, you hold out little hope that will ever change? No, I, I, I don't. I don't think that this, I think if anything, the, the outcome of this is that people will double down. Here's the most recent example. The, the, the people are going to double down on whatever belief system they had about America and the way things should work that they had they had before. An example is, I would have thought uh, back in 2008 when the economy collapsed, do you remember that? Oh, yeah. That there would have been a cultural change. There was not. In fact, as there we both know, there is a certain uh, presidential candidate uh, from Vermont Bernie Sanders, right? I mean, he's the one that's all been talking about. We ha- we need to change. We need to follow best practices, right? right? That's something that we see missing in our in our medical re- and, and scientific response to the coronavirus. We can't simply look at. But if you um, when we get done with this interview, look up Taiwan. Look up Taiwan response to coronavirus. They've had one death. They've had fifty cases and one death. This is a country that borders China. Now, how did they do it? Because they learned from what happened in 2002. We do not do that here. We say, because of our sports culture and our business culture, we are number one. We're America. We're better than everybody else. We do it right. We do it best. And this is how we're going to do it. And when the when the 08 economic collapse happened, you know, not only did people not say, well, I think this system is, is broken, and I think that the people that caused this uh, crash to happen... Are horrible people and criminals? No, we didn't say that. We said these people are successful, ambitious, hardworking, scary, smart, entrepreneur, genius people, and they're the only ones who can lead us out of this. And the long-term outcome of that crash was the people who caused it got even richer, and everybody else is still living uh, below the levels of where they were in 2007. And I think that no matter what happens with this uh, with this outbreak, you will continue to see uh, people um, denigrate science and denigrate intellectuals and and uh, and, and denigrate uh, uh, education. Um, I guess I have hope in the younger generation who the younger generation that doesn't turn out to vote in the primaries. I I hope that the younger generation will. Uh, see things differently and see things more along the lines of the way you're talking about. 
Well, I mean, I hope so too, but um, I'm I'm kind of more dealing with as as they as they say the the brass tacks. Um, I guess one last information, one last uh, quick point. Um, you know that universities all over the country are closing. Uh, I mean, for right now, they are saying um, that they're going to do everything online. Um, don't you think that it's uh, here's an example of our prideful stupidity? Like, if you were a teacher. Why at this point would you be interested in continuing your curriculum online? Don't you think this might be a good time to be telling your students, especially people in college, why don't you pay attention to what's going with this unprecedented international pandemic and learn about this? Well, I I guess if I were a professor, which I am not, but if I were and I had a class, I would probably um, include what's happening right now in the context of whatever subject matter I was teaching them. If it was history, I would certainly, you know, talk about the Spanish flu and other sort of epidemics of spotting plague and how it affected history. I mean, if I were uh, um, in business, I would talk about how things like this affect business. And I don't know, I would, I would, I would include current events and something certainly this big in whatever subject matter I was teaching. Yeah, I mean, I just think... Um, uh I don't know that they're not. I mean, I hear what you're saying. Well, I don't know that they're not, but I, I have a feeling that what everybody's done is they've just simply taken what they had prepared for the for the semester, and they're just transferring it online, which already so much of it is, is done, and I think online education is, is a sham. I, I think that there's also a, probably an attempt on the part of many people to help each other psychologically by not being in denial but by keeping some things and this is recommended by mental health professionals uh, keeping a level of normalcy in your life the mental health professionals who oversee a culture that has had severe increases in mental illness for decades. I mean, that's where I disagree with with you is that I don't really care what the background is that you can say, well, Donald Trump's the president, so he must be he must know what he's doing. Right. Nobody has a problem saying I'm saying saying that it it makes impure. I mean, it makes um, in sense. It makes sense to me that in order to maintain a healthy uh, existence during a crisis like this, it's important to also, while being vigilant and following protocols and being aware and making studies and being critical in the way that you need to, you also need to have some sense of attempt to have some sense of daily joy or you know, affection or comfort and normalcy, you know. They but that's the thing, is I don't think that we have ever had those things, you know, prior to this pandemic. I mean, that's why we have all of our problems. We don't have any sense of normalcy in our lives. People are constantly worried and anxious about everything. We don't have a, a sense of joy in our daily lives. We, I agree with you that we should, but 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 we don't. Well, I mean, I think it's person to person, and I, I know you're speaking about the culture generally, which is hard to do in a way because, you know, they're, not everybody is the same, and I don't think it's the same experience, even though we all live together in the same country. Um, well, no, but I mean, you're not going to deny that it's, um, it's people who are on antidepressants or... Uh, benzodiazepines or other kinds of medication, I mean, are a dime a dozen, right? Um, I know a lot of people on antidepressants, but they also experience joy and normalcy, and, you know, they're from friends of mine, so um, I don't think it necessarily follows that just because you might need antidepressants to regulate your mental health, that you're not a happy person or that you don't find joy in life, or that you don't find purpose in life. I'm just saying that we're in a crisis, and so it would be easy for people to add to the problems that they're having by panicking or stress uh, stress levels spiking. You know, that's something that we want to avoid, obviously. So the recommendation is that people attempt at some point during the day to put down the social media, to get away from the news, to take a walk, 
or just take a breath or, you know, read a book or get away from something, do something analog, for God's sake. Sure. Um, that's why I made a cake yesterday, you know? Right, but these are things that people should should, should be doing anyway. I guess, I guess when, when you talk about panic, uh, you know who uh, Greta Thunberg is, right? The young Swedish woman who's the climate change activist. Well, one of the reasons that I, I, I find her uh, to be in, inspiring, and I think she's a highly intelligent person we should be listening to, is what she has basically said the opposite. She says, I want you to panic. And I guess that's kind of what I'm saying is you have to get to a point where you are no longer preoccupied or uh, so self-conscious that you're just trying to um, only think about your own display of a certain sort, sort of normal emotional state in the face of catastrophe. Uh, the, the benefit being... Kind of like Dr. Fauci is saying, and it's it's very much a scientific mentality, is we we have to be able to get out of our egos. We have to quit thinking about how we're we're evaluating ourselves in the face of, of how other people see us. And if you don't start to panic, if you don't acknowledge a failure is a failure, you can't move forward. You cannot take corrective action. Right, so there's a way in which we all have to get over ourselves in order to deal with this. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I don't, I don't think what I said contradicts what you just said. I, I think we should take this as seriously as we can take anything. So, absolutely, no, I have no problem being critical or or recognizing the dire consequences or the dire circumstances. But you were asking me earlier when you said, do you think that there'll be uh, a watershed moment and things will change? And I'm kind of glad I thought of, of Greta Thunberg because... Um, what you think she indicates change? Herself? No, I think that she is an outlier. And, I, and, and society always has outliers. I mean, at any point in history, regardless of, of whether the times are prosperous and relatively good or if they're war-torn and, and miserable, you always have, there are, there are always those voices of, of wisdom and exceptional intelligence. The question is, to what extent do they have influence? And one of the things I like about Thunberg is how open and matter-of-fact she is about how even she isn't accomplishing anything. For example, when she was named the you know person of the year by, by whoever, she's like, well, this really isn't the point. You know, we, we need to have zero carbon emissions. We're not doing that. So it doesn't really matter that people are following her or listening to her, right? I mean, it's almost that I think that is the most effective thing that she has done is that she has been vocal, but she's used her 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 uh, her platform of being vocal to demonstrate just how bad the problem is and just how... I mean, I just looked it up on, on Instagram, and I know I don't think you do Instagram really, but um, she has 10 million followers on Instagram. I mean, that's not nothing. So she is making people but, are listening to her. Right, but but I think that what you just said gives a way that you, you're not really understanding what she's saying. It's irrelevant how many followers she has. I, I mean, are, have, are we getting rid of fossil fuels? That's a question for me. Yes. Um, not right now. No, we haven't. That, right. It's a failure. Okay. That's what she's trying to say. Like, and if you don't, and this is a matter of science. Like, no, if if Greta, if Greta Thunberg goes from ten million followers to a hundred million followers to a billion followers, the effect that that will have on the climate is zero. You understand me? Like, it it won't matter. Like, everybody in the world could love Greta Thunberg and wear Greta Thunberg T-shirts and paint a mural of her on the side of her house. I'm saying that. What what do you suggest that individually we do? Because we can only act individually. I mean, we can act collectively, too. But like well, no, we, we act both individually and collectively. We have to stop using fossil fuels. I mean, I don't... Um for the sake of time, um, I think we kind of need to, to, to wrap this up, and I don't want it to just go spill over into everything. I mean, the main focus is coronavirus, the health and safety of the people there in New York City and in the rest of the United States and the rest of the world. I mean, it, the coronavirus I, may just take care of it. What's that? I said the coronavirus well, you know, may just take it. What's interesting is they have taken pictures of Italy since they have imposed the 
um, uh, nationwide quarantine and the pollution's going away. Like you can really see how much pollution there is all the time because people can't go out and use their cars. But just to go back to your point of will this be a watershed moment for the United States for Western culture, I say no way. I think everybody's eager and anxious for sports games to start, to just be oblivious and go out and consume and rampage uh, through the world like they always have. And um, uh, I am at a loss to think about what could happen uh, that would that would uh, change that, and, unless there is just some kind of a phenomenological change of the zeitgeist, and everybody wakes up one morning and they feel different and they see the world differently. Um, I don't see it happening at all, and that's why I brought up the issue of climate change. Is we know climate change is, is a crisis. Absolutely nothing is being done about it whatsoever. I mean, there are token acknowledgments of it, and. Well, by 2030, 2050, we'll reduce this. But when those statements were made, Thunberg said, um, we have basically, she said, we have failed. You know, this isn't good enough. Why don't we have goals for 2020? Right. That's how a smart person thinks. <laughs> like, how are we? I, you know, I'm going to say I need to lose weight. So 10 years from now, I plan on having lost 25 pounds. But you, wouldn't you say to that person, but I mean, what are you going to do this week or this month? What are your goals from if you're going to get, you know, the to the middle of uh, end of April, don't you think you should be losing some weight during then? So, uh, no, I think I think that this current crisis is really the cumulative effect of of decades of of, of anti science, anti education, uh, political agenda that everybody, all demographics in society, Democrats, Republicans, young and old. Both genders have uh, pridefully endorsed and participated in, and 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 perpetuated, uh, and and it's just a it's a business dominated culture. I think everybody's uh, hunting money and wants to get rich, uh, and that's the only reason people go to college. And um, you know, we we could spend one point five uh, trillion dollars in one day just to watch the stock market crash two thousand three hundred points. Uh, but you can't spend that money to make the coronavirus go away. So, no, I don't think that the coronavirus takes money. They don't even. Um, yeah, if only if only it took credit cards, right? Um, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us here on the Most Sports Podcast. We Hi. wish you uh, the very best, uh, safety and health, and 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 good sense and all that. Are are there any uh, final words uh, that you have for us? I guess right now it would be wash your hands and don't touch your face. Stay safe. Yeah, it reminds me of this one ridiculous uh, comment. You talk about worthless reporting from a local news station. They said, and I am not making this up. They said, now uh, the symptoms of this, you know, are, you know, cough and, and, and sore throat. Of course, that's worthless information because the flu, common cold, all have those symptoms. Uh, but then the person said, if you, if you think you're not feeling well, go to the doctor. Now, how's that for mind bending? Internet information sharing. It's actually wrong. I mean, uh, from all reports I've been hearing, if you think that you have it, then you're su- and you need to say go to the emergency room. You're supposed to call them first, right? So that they'll be prepared. That you're supposed to self quarantine. But even what I've heard about the self quarantining and, and and people who have it staying home, uh, I think even that is incorrect because the Chinese found out that the seventy five to eighty percent of the spreading was occurring within the household, right? So that's why the screening, the temperature taking. And the testing of people is so important because you've got to isolate them. If you say to people, just go home, well, what do they do? They they spread it to the people in their house. Right? And then, so, well, anyway, um, thank you so much for this uh, interview and your and your time. And we wish the, the very best to everyone, both in New York, around the country, and around the world. And uh, wish uh, that... We were having this interview over a more pleasant topic that we would be talking about your NCAA tournament bracket picks because we know what a big next time what what a big fan that you are. Well, actually, uh, and this I'll just I'm going to leave it here on this, but uh, you know I have a feeling that uh, while this is not going to be the end of the world, um, I don't think the world is going to be the same 
uh, either. And uh, we may have seen the end of NCAA sports as we know them uh, for a lot of reasons. One, I think our universities are going to have to become uh, triage units for intensive care patients. They estimated there's going to be 1.9 million intensive care patients. We only have 100,000 beds. So yeah, that was a shocking realization that we don't have that many hospital beds in the whole country. I well, they're intensive care beds. I mean, we have plenty of beds, but you know, something's going to have to be done about that. I do not see the fall semester starting for college in the United States. I don't think this will be over at the end of the summer, and of course it would be insane to begin to maybe make some progress on this and get people into... Uh, and then bring suddenly have you know tens of thousands of people mobilizing so they can be densely populated on a campus where they're going to be uh, blowing their noses and coughing and sneezing uh, like like always happens. But um, I, I am not sure that we're going to have uh, the world that we did uh, b- b- before this. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll have to see. Uh, but for now, again, we want to thank you very much and taking your time. We appreciate your your thoughts and opinions, and we wish everyone. Um, and we wish everyone the best. Same. Thank you, David. All right. That was uh, Kelly Overby, uh, uh, actor in uh, in New York City, giving uh, her views of what's going on there in the city, her opinions on the uh, uh, on the coronavirus uh, epidemic. Um, please join us at the Most Sports Podcast Facebook page with uh, regular updates and commentary about the spread of the coronavirus. Obviously, with the end of all major sporting events for the foreseeable future, uh, we're not going to have our uh, typical uh, content up there, uh, but that should be no surprise. Uh, We want to thank you very much uh, for listening. And again, this is Dr. Dave Overby, and this is the Mo Sports Podcast. Find Dr. Overby's extended game analysis and philosophical ponderings on Facebook at facebook.com slash mopod.mosports. On Twitter, we're at mosportso. And there's a poorly upkept webpage of episodes at psychicreform.com slash mosports. But we don't recommend relying on it. The webmaster is lazy. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or the RSS feed available at all the places. Join us next week for another installation of the Mo Sports Podcast, your source for intelligent analysis of sports. Sporty sports sports. <laughs>